0: John fourteen and fifteen, we see in the scriptures where um, people asked God for and believed God for, and even where we see the disciples ask Paul asked that that other people would pray for him that the Lord would give him utterance, utterance, amen. And so that's really not a word that we use, I guess, in our everyday vocabulary, but. But he's talking about that the Lord would give him something to say. and it's, it's, It means more than that, but basically the Lord would give him something to say. Um, now, like a lot of you, I've always got something to say, okay? Um, but that's not what we mean, amen? <laughs> something to say from the heart of the Lord. I, I often try to, without fail, uh, when I get up in front of you, ask him to make my spirit, soul, and body a, a window, a portal. Through which his wisdom can pass from his side uh, of eternity into our side, time and space, and so I appreciate you believing with me this morning for utterance, Amen. That it would be of great benefit and help um, to uh, you and bring glory to our Father's name, Amen. Now, John fourteen and verse fifteen, it says this: Jesus speaking, "If you love me, keep my commandments. If you love me, keep my commandments." Now, we've looked at this verse the last two Sundays. I'm not going to. Try to repeat everything that we've said about that so far. But one key statement that I really feel like Father has been speaking to my heart now for some time is that He's weary of His children loving Him but not trusting Him. Weary of His children loving Him but not trusting Him. Now, love has its important place, but trust is the real currency of any relationship. All right, now just stay with me. I know some of this is, is, is repetitive, but it bears repeating, okay? And so this is, I know it may not sound like that big of a breakthrough uh, for, for you, but, but to me, it's a, it's a major, major breakthrough. I've come to understand that trust is the missing link between loving God and living by faith. Loving God and living by faith. Amen. There is a missing link between loving God and living by faith, and that missing link is trust. Now, let me do a little bit of explaining, uh, and, and then we'll dig into this a little deeper. But when he said, if you love me, keep my commandments, what he literally said was, was this, in, in John 14 and 15, if you agape me, keep my commandments. If you agape me, keep my commandments. And unfortunately, um, in the English language, we, we basically have the singular word love, L-O-V-E, um, that, that uh, translates from uh, multiple words for the word love in the, uh, in the Greek language. And two that we have been looking at for the last couple of weeks uh, is the word philo in the Greek and the word agape in the Greek. And when we hear, in, you know, English-speaking people, when we hear uh, the word love, what often comes to mind, or what comes to mind first for us is, is what the Bible calls philo. And that is the warm, fond, affectionate feelings that, that you may have for another person, okay? And so philo certainly has its place. Remember, God created us with a capacity to experience this thing called philo, and certainly it adds a, a, a lot uh, to our lives. We, we, we enjoy, uh, you know, the, the fond, affectionate feelings that we have for other people, and they have for us, and, and, and all that's important. But remember, love has its place, but trust is the, tr- is the real currency in any relationship. Um, a relationship is not going to be very profitable or beneficial to either party if, if there's only fond affectionate feelings for one another, but no trust for one another. And so why I believe trust is the missing link between loving God and living by faith is because when you combine trust with love, you come up with this thing called agape. Agape, all right? And agape is, well, I got the slide right here. Let me put it up on the screen. So philo translated love in our English uh, uh, Bible, New King James, King James Bible, is warm, fine, affectionate feelings often associated with friendship. Agape is love, and it means to esteem, and it indicates a direction of the will. In other words, a choice that you make in your heart, and it includes the ideas of duty, respect, devotion, service, and faithfulness. So we could say that that agape is involves commitment it involves devotion it involves dedication remember faithfulness uh uh, is synonymous with means the same as trustworthiness God is faithful which means he's trustworthy he's trustworthy which means he's faithful in other words God could uh could not be faithful if he wasn't trustworthy you see what I'm saying uh, because he's faithful, he's trustworthy. Because he's trustworthy, uh, his, his trustworthiness means and implies, uh, carries with the idea of him being um, faithful. So when Jesus says, if you love me, keep my commandments, he's saying, if you agape me, not philo me, if you agape me, keep my commandments. In other words, he's, he's saying that that we should trust him enough to do what he says. Now, I, I know this may be a little bit controversial I don't believe it is especially if you've heard what we've said about this for the last um, two weeks you can have philo for Jesus and never do anything he says you can have a a, a warm place in your heart for him affectionate feelings for him um, but never listen to him or, or do anything follow through on anything that he instructs commands teaches you to do so when we say it's the missing link between loving God and living by faith, if you're going to live by faith, you're going to have to commit yourself to some things. If you're going to to live by faith, you're going to to have uh, to start developing and exercising your will in the areas of duty, respect, devotion, service, and faithfulness. Now, um, I won't say a lot about this because we've talked about it again extensively, but in Peter's situation what we've learned from the scriptures and by going into the original language is that Peter was strong on philo for Jesus in other words he Jesus meant everything to him right if you were to have asked Peter he would have used some of the language that we use perhaps he means the world to me um one of one of my favorites and I'm saying that almost tongue in cheek right is is when people say Jesus is my everything you know what I'm saying Hadn't picked up his Bible in six months, haven't been to church in two years, but he's my everything. You see, again, it's very easy for Philo, remember what Peter said, I'll die for you, over my dead body will I ever deny you, right? That's Philo talking. That's, that's the feelings talking. And so Peter was, was long on Philo, but he was short on agape. He was long on the fond, affectionate feelings that he had for Jesus, but when it came down to his devotion, his duty, his, his respect, his faithfulness, Um, that was where his uh, faith was lacking so do you see um, how how do we overcome anything in this world we overcome it by faith faith is the victory that overcomes the world how could Peter have overcome that situation when he felt threatened the night Jesus was arrested he would have overcome that the way any of uh, any of us will ever overcome any obstacle or challenge in our lives any kind of spiritual battle in our lives you overcome it by faith why did his faith seem? Why did the bottom seem to drop out of his faith in that moment? It's because it was based upon warm, fine, affectionate feelings instead of a commitment, instead of trust, instead of duty and devotion, to do what Jesus said to do. So this is one of the strongest statements I think that that we have, um, you know, come to. You know, Holy Spirit's brought us to in all this, and that is Peter's affection for Jesus made him feel far more committed than he actually was. Now, my question for for myself and my question for you, my question for us this morning, is it possible that we could be similarly deceived? Is is it possible that our affection for Jesus can make us feel far more committed to Him and to His uh, plans and purposes and ways than we actually are? Now, a couple of things. Turn with me to John chapter 2. Praise God. John, the second chapter, amen, John chapter 2, and um, we'll jump in at verse 23. Now, let me remind you of some things that the Holy Spirit reminded me of um, in preparation for uh, what we were, were to say this morning. We spent probably, I don't know, maybe four or five weeks looking at what the Word of God has to say about these things. But, but what I want to remind you of or tell you for the first time if you haven't heard it already is that commitment and trust are synonymous with one another. In other words, they mean the same thing. If, if you, like me, uh, enjoy studying the Bible by, by studying you know, one verse in multiple translations, you'll see um, that you know, many times where um, you know, one translation will use commit and another translation will use trust. Paul said that, that he, you know, what he had committed to the Lord, he, was, he, was, he knew that, that, that God would keep what he had committed to him. Other translations say that he, God would keep what he had entrusted into, um, into uh, the care of the Lord. So commit and trust are synonymous with one another. And to commit uh, means the same as to entrust. So we could say it this way. All right, Peter's affection for Jesus made him feel like he trusted Jesus far more than he actually did. Are you still with me this morning? So when we talk about his affection for Jesus made him feel far more committed than he actually was, because commit and trust mean the same thing, his affection for Jesus deceived him into believing that he trusted Jesus far more than he actually did. Now, how many of you know that that is nowhere any of us want to be? Because we... We do not want to be deceived in this area where we are deceived into believing we trust Jesus more than we actually do because that's nothing more than the enemy trying to set us up for failure. Praise God. It's getting quiet in here. That's all right. All right. So fond feelings for Jesus are awesome, but are no substitute for trusting him and choosing to do what he says. Now, I want to just do some explaining and some teaching and some, and some sharing of some things with you this morning. So, let's kind of settle in here for a few minutes and let's begin with a passage of scripture in John chapter 2 and verse number 23. All right, I'll put it up on the screen. We're we'll going to look at 23, 24 and 25. It says, "Now when Jesus was in Jerusalem at the pe- at the Passover during the feast, okay, not the Peaceover, over but the Passover, okay. When he was in Jerusalem at the Passover during the feast, Many believed in his name when they saw the signs which he did. But Jesus did not commit himself to them because he knew all men and had no need that anyone should testify of man, for he knew what was in man. So when it says that he knew all men, it doesn't doesn't necessarily mean that he knew everybody on a first name basis. It means that he knew what was in their hearts. He knew what was in them. And again, Peter's affection for Jesus <laughs> deceived him into thinking he was far more committed than he actually was. In other words, what he was saying outwardly I'll die for you, Jesus. No one loves you more than me, Jesus. No one's more committed to you than I am, Jesus. I don't know what these other losers are going to do, but if I have to die with you tonight, I'll die with you tonight. Notice that that, that, that was again Philo talking there, but notice he was deceived into thinking. In other words, he wasn't just saying that to brag or he, he genuinely believed that. He genuinely felt that. He genuinely thought that as he was saying all of these things. And so when it says that Jesus knew what was in man, he knew what was in their heart. He knew what was in Peter's heart. Matter of fact, he told Peter what was in his heart. He told Peter, Peter, before the rooster crows uh, uh, in the morning, you will deny me three times. But but notice Jesus didn't just say that to shame him. He said, but I've already prayed for you. Satan desires to have you, Peter. He desires to sift you as wheat. I've already prayed for you that you'll be too big to be sifted. I've already prayed for you that your faith will fail you not. Notice he didn't say, I've already prayed for you that your fond affectionate feelings for me will fail you not. I prayed for you that your faith will fail you not. What was Peter's faith missing? Peter's faith was missing agape. It's It's the missing link. Between loving Jesus and living by faith, all right? Now, there are certain passages in in the Bible that um, are passages that I have, I guess the right word would would be pondered, thought about, you know, made swings at over the years to teach from. If you've ever been through discipleship class, you know that this is one of the First passages that we go to when we start trying to break down what what real discipleship actually is and 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 so we see something that on the surface at least seems very out of character for this jesus that we've all come to know and love what do we mean by out of character a group of people the bible says believed in him but he refused to commit himself to am i the only one that that at least on the surface doesn't seem like the Jesus that we know and love. That if somebody was going to believe in Him, that He would just be all in and 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 jump on board with them and commit Himself to them and, and these sorts of things. And and so when I say I've pondered this passage for years, I, obviously it's here uh, for our benefit um, when we understand all the things that happened in Jesus's life and ministry that never made it to the to the written word of God. Uh, the fact that the Holy Spirit uh, saw to it that this was recorded. Um, is not in any way to try to, you know, uh, look down upon, uh, you know, speak negatively of these people. It's here for our benefit. It's here for us to learn from. Let me say it another way. If if this was true of a group of people in in Jesus's day and time, it can be true of a group of people in our day and time. Amen or Omi, are you still with me? So we find a group of people who believed in Jesus because of the miracles. They witnessed him perform. In words, these people had 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 saw with their own eyes uh, Jesus, you know, doing uh, miracles and 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 what the Bible calls signs and wonders. Okay, but Jesus did not commit himself to them because he knew what was in their hearts. Okay, now. I'm not questioning what Jesus did, because we know, listen to me now very carefully, we know that if Jesus did it, it was right. So I'm not questioning what he did, but instead I want to understand why he did it. Not to look down upon these people, or make myself feel superior to them, but I want to know why he did it, because I don't want to repeat their same mistake. If there was something in their hearts that prevented Jesus from being able to trust them, and I'll show you this in just a minute, that, that prevented him from being able to entrust himself into their care, I want to make sure that the same thing's not in my heart. I want to make sure that the people I have the opportunity to, to, to serve and, and, and serve the Word of God too, uh, that they have an understanding of this as well, so that you can make sure that the same thing is not in your heart. So the question then is this, what did Jesus know about their hearts? What did Jesus know about their hearts that prevented him from committing or entrusting himself to them? Now, the, the words, let me put this up again. Uh, I'm going to put that same passage up again in the New King James. And if you'll notice, I have put in all caps the words believed in verse 23 and the word commit the word believed in verse 23 and the word commit in verse 24. The word believed and the word commit. Guess what? They're the same word. They're the same identical word that we find in the original language. Strong's number 4100. It's a derivative of the word pistis. Pistis is the is the Greek word for faith. This is P-I-S-T-E-O-U, I believe. Pistia. I don't know how you say it. I'm not even going to try. All right. Um, but it's derivative of that, and and it carries with it the idea of believing, but it also carries with it this idea of committing, this idea of trusting, okay? So let me give you a couple of other translations, and you'll see what I'm talking about. In the Amplified, John 2 and 23, but when he was in Jerusalem during the Passover feast, many believed in his name. Now, this is some clues here. Uh, believed in his name meaning what? They identified themselves with his party. In, in, in other words, there was some type of of affiliation. There was some type of recognition. There was some type of agreement, some level or degree of agreement. I've, I've said it this way, and, and I'm, I know there's more to it than this. I've learned more about it now than I knew the last time I taught on this, which was back in, uh, let's see, um, I guess, uh, August, uh, when I taught this in discipleship class, I stand by it, but there's more to it Th- that what, in other words, what it is is that they gave credit to Jesus for doing things that they had never seen anybody else do. They gave, they gave credit. They were in awe of Jesus. They were fascinated, uh, by the, the power and authority with which he spoke. They were fascinated, um, by his ability, uh, to cast out demons and heal sick people and, and, and these kinds of things. And, and it created, are you ready? It created a fond affection for him in their hearts. Okay? Verse 24, Amplified. But Jesus, for his part, did not trust himself to them. So we see in the New King James, it says, did not commit himself to them. The Amplified translates it, did not trust himself to them because he knew all men. Now, the New Living Translation reads this way. Because of the miraculous signs Jesus did in Jerusalem at the Passover celebration, many began to trust in Him. But Jesus didn't trust them because He knew all about people. He did not trust them because He knew all about people. Now, one of the most important things that you can ever understand about reading and studying the Bible, is that you have to let Scripture interpret Scripture. You have to let the Bible interpret itself. If you read a passage somewhere in the Bible that doesn't seem to be clear to you, that, that, that seems to be saying something that doesn't line up with other things you've read in the Bible, then you need to go to other places in the Scripture where the same or similar words or, or points are being made and let those points help you understand, amen, What it is that you don't understand based upon um, a previously read or studied verse. Here's a classic example of this. We know that Cain's offering to the Lord was rejected. We know that Abel's was accepted. Abel's was an offering of blood, Uh, Cain's was an offering of fruits and vegetables. People immediately jumped to the conclusion that God rejected Cain's offering because it was not a blood sacrifice. Okay? The blood sacrificial system had not yet been instituted by God. And we see even after that blood sacrifice um, system was instituted that God accepted grain offerings and other types of offerings that were not blood offerings. So if you want to understand why Cain's offering was rejected, you have to go to the New Testament. And in Hebrews, we find out that his offering was not accepted, not because it wasn't blood, but because it wasn't one of excellence. It wasn't one of excellence. But now notice, if you don't let the Bible interpret itself, you can come up with all kinds of wrong conclusions. But again, you say, wow, I wonder why God didn't accept his offering. Well, don't start coming up with you know, your own theories. Let the Bible tell you what the Bible says and means. Amen? Are you following me? So we have this in John 2. Where there's a group of people who believed in Jesus, but Jesus, knowing what was in their heart, did not entrust himself to them, did not commit himself to them, okay? Now we can come up with all kinds of ideas as to why that's the case, but what if the Bible had something else to say about this in a later place? And guess what? It actually does. Go with me now to John the 8th chapter. John chapter 8 and verse number 30. John chapter 8 and verse number 30. You still with me this morning? Praise God. John chapter 8 and verse 30. As he spoke these words, Jesus speaking, as he spoke these words, Jesus was speaking words, many believed in him. Then Jesus said to those Jews who believed him, If you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Okay? Now, we're not going to you know, keep reading here, but let me go ahead and tell you that these people did not fall on their knees and say, yes, most beautiful Lord and Savior, please allow us to be your disciples right now. But instead, they were offended at what Jesus said. They reminded him like he didn't know it, that they were descendants of Abraham, that they had never been in bondage to anyone, and it was ridiculous for him to even suggest that they needed to be set free. So they were offended at this. Now, if we didn't have what came, let's just say that the that the Gospel of John ended right here, you know, we would think "Kumbaya." This was a great victory. People had come to Jesus. They believed in him, and and now there were more disciples added to the Lord. Because when we read this word, we, we when we read this word "believed," see, we we we, you know, call people believers. We 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 use believer as as a substitute word for christian we we you know we oh they're a believer let let me remind you that the devil believes in jesus and the bible says it causes him to tremble it elicits some visceral response from him every time he thinks about uh, our lord and savior so you have to then begin to ask yourself okay what did these people believe and why when it says they believed in him, see, we think that means they got saved. That does not mean they got saved. Are you following me? This is why a lot of people get confused in, the book of, in understanding the book of Hebrews, and, and because of their misunderstanding, they use Hebrews 6 and Hebrews 10 to tell people that they can lose their salvation. Because we automatically assume that if somebody believed in Jesus, that this means they invested faith in him to receive salvation. We're talking about two separate things. These people believed in him. If they didn't believe in him, the Bible wouldn't say they believed in him. But the question that we have to ask is, what did they believe and why did they believe it? It's easier to talk about them than it is to talk about us. We also need to ask ourselves the same question. What do we believe and why do we believe it? Now, in both cases, we find a group of people who believed in Jesus because of something they saw him do or something they heard him say. They witnessed things that, that Jesus later said. Are you ready? This, this is how astounding. People witnessed things, miracles, undeniable miracles, and yet never experienced a change of heart. Never repented. So much so that Jesus said to those people, In the day of judgment, it will be more tolerable for Sodom and Gomorrah for some of you. Because if the miracles that have been done in front of your eyes were done in Sodom and Gomorrah, they would have repented in sackcloth and ashes. But you have seen these things and you have chosen to continue to do your own thing and put your trust in yourself and in things other than the Word of the living God. Wow. Wow. So many believed in Him. In both cases, we find a group of people who believed in Jesus because of something they heard Him say or something they saw Him do. Now, follow me, please, okay? I'm I'm just going to read some of this because I can probably read it better than I can just say it, okay? Jesus' wisdom and power were... And still are very attractive. His willingness to stand up to religious bullies was nothing short of heroic given the religious establishment's power to imprison, punish, and even execute people who disagreed with them. course, When Jesus went in there and turned over the money changers' tables... They could have had him beaten and tortured to death. They had that kind of power. They had that kind of authority. Remember, they drug the woman into there, right, into the temple, who was caught in the act of adultery. Moses' law said she should be put to death. They had the authority, and not only did they have the authority to do it, they had the rocks already in hand to do it, to pommel her to death with rocks. And, of course, we know they had another agenda that day in addition to executing this woman. They wanted Jesus to side with them and be the one who pronounced her condemnation. The, the authority and, and, the, and the leeway that, that these uh, the religious establishment had we probably don't fully understand that. And because we don't fully understand it, we, we don't understand what an amazing thing that it was for Jesus to stand up to those religious tyrants, for him to publicly put them in their place, for him to call them a brood of vipers, for him, are, are you following what I'm saying? And so if, if you're one of those many, many people who had been ripped off by them, right? Remember how this whole racket worked. And it was a racket. They had turned the worship of God into a racket. They would bring in animals to sacrifice, but they couldn't sacrifice an animal unless it was approved of by the religious leaders. And the religious leaders would often d- would say, no, your, your uh, lamb isn't good enough to sacrifice to God. But for thirty we've got one right here that we will approve. Now, if if you had run headlong into that a few times, and now all of a sudden some wild man from Nazareth, you know, some cabinet maker from Nazareth, is up in here standing up to these people, you you would have considered him a hero. <laughs> you you'd have went, "Humble man, I wish I had the guts to do that." He's saying what all of us have thought, right? And so you 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 have. This whole aspect of these things, his wisdom and power were and still are attractive. His willingness to stand up to religious bullies was nothing short of heroic, given the religious establishment's power to imprison, punish, and even execute dissidents. Jesus was a rebel in the holiest of ways. Think about that for a minute. When I I call him a rebel, I mean no disrespect to that. He rebelled against an establishment that was opposed to his father's heart and ways of doing things. He was a rebel in the holiest of ways, and rebels always attract a following. People were enamored with Jesus the way we are with the story of an underdog winning an Olympic gold medal. You see this, right? Anybody get chill bumps when you watch the Americans uh, beat the Russians you know we've made movies about this right you know when when uh, Jesse Owens you know goes into Berlin sweet home Alabama right and dominates Hitler's you know uh, master race there's something about that man It, it can't help but create warm fond affectionate feelings in our heart it can't help but but say, man, that Jesus, he is something else, isn't he? I, man, I just love him. It's so easy, right? I just love him. Man, did you see how he showed? Uh, they knew that. Most of the people knew that woman. and was caught in the act of adultery. You know, again, let the woman without See him throw the first stone. I'm not saying they approved of what she did, but the fact that Jesus stood up for her and defended her, that he was on the side of the little guy? Are you, are you see? All of these are themes that we, you know, they make Hollywood blockbuster movies out of these kinds of themes. And so there were just swarms of people who had a warm, fond, affectionate place in their heart for Jesus. They believed in him. That's, what, that's, what, that's what's happening here, okay? Jesus was a rebel in the holiest of ways, and rebels attract a following now listen to this please jesus attracted a lot of fans but a fan is not necessarily a friend and a friend is not necessarily a disciple you see this jesus attracted a lot of fans i mean when he come riding into jerusalem on the back of that donkey People were pulling off their coats in a, in a day and time when when a coat was, you know, you, you kept it to you, outgrew it and handed it to somebody else. It, did, it, wasn't, a, it wasn't like they had four or five of them in their closet like some of us. They're putting it down for a, for a donkey to walk on, right? I'm not trying to be graphic here, but you know what donkeys do sometimes, right, when they walk and, you know, they don't say, excuse me, I need to go to the bathroom. I mean, they just let it rip, Right? Notice, notice how people are caught up in this moment. They're stripping uh, palm branches off of the, uh, the trees lining the root and waving them and, and blessed be the king. I mean, they, they're, they're ready to anoint him. Are you, are you following what I'm saying here? This, this, is, this is fandom out of control. Now, you do realize that a lot of these same people, not too many days later, are going to be hollering, crucify him. One translation of John chapter 2 says Jesus knew that people's hearts were fickle. He knew that people's hearts were fickle. Right? So what did Jesus say? Let's go back to it one more time man. What did Jesus say to the many who believed in him? What did he say to them? He said, if you, if, that's a big word, right? Two letters, but a big, big word. If you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. So what is Jesus asking from them? What is Jesus asking from them? What is he, see, Listen. It's not that Jesus is saying you shouldn't you shouldn't feel that way about me. They should have felt that way about him. That's it's it's not it's not wrong. It wasn't wrong for Peter to have philo for Jesus. It wasn't it wasn't wrong for, for for folks who never took the time to go hear anything Jesus had to say, but just watched him put the religious bullies in their place. It wasn't wrong for them to have fond affectionate feelings in their heart. But Jesus knew that that would never get them where he had for them to go. That if if it was ever going to make any tangible measurable difference in their lives it was going to have to be more than just a fan more than just somebody who uh, you know was connected with him on some emotional level what is jesus asking from them i believe it's important to answer this question because he's asking for the same thing from us he's asking for a deeper commitment right And a deeper commitment requires trust. He is asking for us to go from philo for him to agape for him, to go from having a warm place in our hearts for him to a place of commitment, a place of trust, a place of devotion, and a place of faithfulness. Now, if we take what we see in John 8 and go back to John 2, we see the same scenario playing itself out there. The people were amazed by Jesus. They had never seen or heard anything like Him. I mean, He was a wonder and a sight to behold. They were smitten. Come on now. They were smitten by Him. Men had, what do they call it in, our, in, in the young people do They call it a man crush, right? They had a man crush. They were smitten by Him. But Jesus knew the philo in their hearts would not carry them where only agape for Him can. We see in both situations people who had philo for Jesus but no agape, people who were not willing to commit themselves, who were not willing to entrust their lives to Him by listening to Him and following Him where only He could take them. And remember, God can only take you as far as your trust in him will allow. Amen. Now, you get anything out of this? Let's go back to it. The missing link between loving God and living by faith is trust. Because trust is the difference. And if I could just simplify it, trusting God is the difference between a warm, fine, affectionate feeling in your heart for him... And devotion, commitment, faithfulness, respect for who he is, for what he has said, for what he desires to do in and through and for you and your life. Okay? Now, <clears throat> we have touched on this throughout the course of our study a few times. We've never really dug into it and developed it um, as fully as we will in the days ahead but what the John chapter 2 passage illustrates for us and i think it illustrates it for us more dramatically it's it's mentioned throughout the bible but what it what we see in those passages and i think this is another key reason why the holy spirit saw to it that it was recorded for us to to benefit from is that the John 2 passage dramatically illustrates I'm going to use a big word now. It it, it dramatically illustrates the reciprocal nature of learning to trust God. The reciprocal nature. What, What do we mean by reciprocal nature? Ultimately, it was the people's lack of trust in Jesus that prevented Him from trusting Himself to them. It wasn't that Jesus you know, wasn't wanting to trust them with himself. And, wh- and when we say with himself, that, that's, a, that's a big, uh, in other words, he's a lot of things. Are you with me? Like, let me, let me give you an example of, of, of what it looks like for Jesus to trust you with himself. Okay. He gave authority to the twelve and power to go and proclaim the gospel of the kingdom, casting out devils and healing the sick. Take no knapsack, take no bankroll with you. Wherever you go, stay with the people who welcome you. If people reject you, shake the dust off your feet. Don't let the people who reject you keep you from reaching the people who want you and need you. Then we see that he entrusted himself to 70 others. And they also went into different villages and cities and towns where Jesus had planned to go in his itinerary. They went there first to get the people ready and and their hearts stirred to receive him. And we see that they came back rejoicing because they had laid their hands on sick people and sick people were healed. They had even cast out devils. In Jesus' name. You see, this is what it looks like for Jesus to trust Himself, to entrust Himself to someone. But perhaps the biggest one, are you ready? Is for Jesus to be able to entrust other people with what He knows. That's huge, right? For Him to be able to tell you things. Be able to trust you, like when we, if we, if we kind of go back to just a a simple um, example of this. um, I pray that you have people in your life that you can trust enough, right, to to tell them things, knowing that they won't tell other people. A friend that you can trust, right, with personal information or whatever the case may be. All right, well, that's a very simplified version of what we're talking about here. But we see very clearly that Jesus told the disciples things that he did not tell the multitudes. We see that Jesus explained things to those who were his disciples that he did not explain to the crowd at large. What is the fundamental difference between the crowd at large and a disciple? The fundamental difference is a commitment, right? Or, again... (laughs) Commitment and trust are the same thing. In other words, Jesus could trust his disciples with things that he couldn't trust other people with because of the disciples' trust in him first. Are you following me? This is I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to make this as simple as I could possibly make it. Jesus could not trust himself to those people. He couldn't, those people who came to him. Remember, the the great plan of God is for Jesus to reproduce himself in people on this earth so that the works that he did, you can go and do likewise and even greater works. This is part of the great plan of God for, for you and I to be born of his seed, for you and I to be filled with the same spirit that he's been filled with, for you and me to go and destroy the works of the devil the same way Jesus set the example for us to go and destroy the works of the devil. For you to speak with new tongues, for you to lay your hands on the sick and the sick recover, for you to cast out devils. This was this was the plan from the get go. This was the plan from the jump. And so now we've got some folks who are who are are just smitten with Jesus. They're like hanging on his every word. They're like, oh Jesus, you're the greatest thing ever. You know we've never seen anything like you. Never heard anything like you, right? But Jesus did not say to those people, okay, this is what I want you to do. I want you to go to the next town over and anybody you find that's sick over there, you heal them. And anybody you find over there that's, that's being tormented or possessed by demons. You cast those demons out in my name. See, this would have been what it meant for him to entrust himself to them. It doesn't mean that he couldn't sit down and have a meal with them. That's not, no, no. See, that's Philo. Enjoying one another's company is Philo. Giving somebody your credit card and the keys to your car, that's agape. He couldn't trust them with that. What does that mean? It means they'd have probably went and done a few miracles and told everybody they was the Messiah. <laughs> you see? In other words, you, loose canon, whatever, I don't know, you know, whatever terminology. He said, Pastor Mark, you're reading too much into this. I don't think we're reading enough into it. I don't think we really understand what's going on here, what this powerful principle that the Holy Spirit is trying to show to us. Father, God wants to trust you. He wants to trust you with true riches. But he says we've got to prove ourselves trustworthy with, with unrighteous money First. You can, when you can prove yourself trustworthy with what belongs to somebody else, this is how you receive from God what is truly yours. Things that He wants to trust you with. Can't trust somebody who only has fond, affectionate feelings for Him in their heart. That's fickle. That changes. But somebody who's who's devoted, somebody. Who 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 understands that this is both a calling and a duty, that this is that this is both an honor and a privilege, as well as uh, a devotion and a commitment. John fifteen, and we'll finish here. John fifteen, verses fifteen and sixteen. Jesus said this, No longer do I call you servants. He's talking to his disciples now. No longer do I call you servants, for a servant does not know what his master is doing. But I've called you friends. For all things that I heard from my Father, I have made known to you. Man. You did not choose me But I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should remain that whatever you ask the Father in my name he may give you. Now, I don't want to like stir up any more controversy than I've potentially stirred up. But see, this carte blanche here Whatever you ask the Father in my name that he'll give you. See, we want to make that apply to fans. Jesus isn't talking to fans. He's talking to fans who committed to serve, who became friends. Disciples. Are you seeing this? What is he saying? He's saying, I used to trust you like a like a master trusts a servant. See, we, we like to think that the Philo comes first and then the agape. It was their agape. They may have called Jesus their friend. You know, the people say, Man, you heard about that. You heard about that prophet out of Nazareth? Hey, he's my friend. What are you talking about? You know, see, they may have thought of him in that light. We may sing it. In church at the top of our lungs I am a friend of God but we need to really look at what what that means a friend of God is somebody that God can trust somebody that God can trust so much that he says look here's my and I say credit card I don't mean to be disrespectful he he say look here's my son's name anything you ask me in his name I'll give it to you see that's trust that's trust we we often look at god as if we can't trust him but see it's not a matter of whether or not we can trust him it's a matter of whether or not he can trust you and the only way he can trust you is if you trust him i know that i know that i'm not trying to talk in circles i'm not trying to give you some some you know rhyme or puzzle to to solve here it's just it's just really simple it's it's not about how trustworthy god is it's about how trustworthy you and i are See, he, he can't trust people who don't trust him. Are you seeing this? If, if, if you don't trust him, for him to give you the true riches of heaven in your life, it would destroy you. It would absolutely destroy you. Amen. Stand with me. Praise God. Now, let me tell you where we're going to be next week, okay? I'm going to tell you how to be chosen. You do know that this is not all the Bible has to say about what it means to be chosen by God. Religion would tell you that God's up there rolling some form of heavenly dice and all of a sudden, you know, snake eyes came up by your name and he just randomly chose you or chose them out of a hat. That is not what the Bible teaches about how a man or woman who would like to be chosen by God, because what did he say? What did he say? Many are called, but few are chosen. He gave us a parable in Matthew 20. He gave us a parable in Matthew 22. And both of those parables, they're related because they have similarities to them. Different stories, different parables, but there are common elements in both of those stories. And they both end with Jesus saying, many are called, few are chosen. Many are called few you were chosen. Notice now in John 15 we see people that God, that Jesus chose. There are all kinds. Again, let the Bible tell you what the Bible means. There are people who come up with all kinds of crazy, off-the-wall ideas about this. I'm going to simplify it and then we'll, we will get into the nuts and bolts of it next week. But simply put one who is chosen based upon those parables is someone who is willing to have a relationship with God on his terms. Someone who is willing to have a relationship with God, fellowship with God, interaction with, daily walk with God on his terms instead of your own. Amen. I'll show it to you. Amen next Sunday. Father, you're good to us. Thank you for life and peace. Thank you for all that you're doing in us and among us and through us, Lord. Thank you that you're teaching us, you're showing us, you're challenging us, you're speaking to us, Father. Not because you're trying to condemn us or shame us or, or, or make us feel guilty or embarrassed, Lord. You're wanting us, Lord, to not be deceived. Lord, thank you for all the people who are listening to me right now who have warm, fond, affectionate feelings for, for you, Lord, in their hearts. That's so beautiful. It's important. It's special. It's meaningful, Father. But, Lord, there are folks who aren't here this morning because when they woke up, they didn't have those fond, affectionate feelings. They let their feelings make the decisions instead of a duty, a commitment, a devotion. They let other things, Father, uh, take the place of of the most important thing, Lord, you, and what you would have them to do on a Sunday morning in their lives. Again, no, no condemnation, Father, but, Lord, that we would understand the difference between philo for you and agape for you the difference between a fond, affectionate feeling and an understanding of our duty and our responsibility, our commitment, our faithfulness, our trust in you. Lord, I thank you that these things are making a difference in our lives. They are, they are impacting our families and impacting our communities, Lord, as, as you use us in these different communities that we're connected to for your glory. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen and amen and amen again. Thank you.